you have your Bible, if you'll turn in uh, Hebrews chapter 8, Hebrews 8, we're going to be reading verses 6 through 13, and I'm pretty pumped about this message. While you're turning your Bible, uh, we're in the book of Hebrews, and Hebrews, I'm telling you, is a challenging book, but if you're like me, I'm a bit of a slow learner. Uh, I kind of bring up the rear in most things, but man, when I start to get it, I tell you what, I start to get it, and it's not how you start in a race. It's how you finish, so I'm coming from the back, pumped about this. Um, and as you're turning there, I want you to just, I want you to just think about this question, how does God relate to you? Do you think about that for a moment? How does God relate to you? What are the terms and the conditions regarding how God relates to you personally and then us collectively? That's a very important question. Today we're going to kind of zero in on how God relates to us. And so if you would stand for the reading of Scripture, Hebrews 8, 6 through 13. And I'd love as we read it, I'd love for you to just read it with some gusto. All right, let's read it together as if it were God's word because it is God's word. Romans 8, and here we go. Romans 8, we're going to start in verse 6, all right? Count of three, we're going to begin to read. Ready? One, two, ready, read. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the old covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God. Amen. You may be seated. Now, over the past two years, I think I've married about four couples, maybe, maybe five. And when you, as a pastor, and many of you have done this in here, when you marry someone, oftentimes you're usually the one doing premarital counseling. Now, 
Currently, I'm in the process, I was asked a few weeks ago to do some premarital counseling with a couple that I am not married. And as I was asked to do the premarital, I began to really think about what is it that I really want to do here? What is it that I'm trying to do? What is it that I want to see God do in them? Now, there's a lot of different things, but there's probably one thing that is at the top of my list, right? That thing is I want, obviously, the man to know that Jesus loves him and he's to love his wife like Jesus loved the church. And I want the woman to know that she is to follow this man and to honor and to respect him and to live in submission to his authority because that would honor the Lord. But beyond that, there's one other thing that's at the top of my list. And it, and it pertains to how they relate to each other. You see, before they come into a marriage covenant, their relationship or the terms of their relationship is pretty much not binding, if I could say it that way. There's some semi-agreement in how they're going to relate to one another. And if things kind of go south, guess what? Peace, right? Uh, I can peace out. I can leave. Matter of fact, maybe I could say it this way. In, 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 in relationships before most people get married, it's pretty much a quid pro quo kind of a relationship. It's a tit for tat, right? Meaning, if you do these things, then we'll be okay. But if you don't do these things, then we're going to have some issues. And if they get super bad, we are not going to walk down that aisle. But when a couple gets married, things change. And if that couple goes into marriage with that kind of thought process where if you do the things that I want you to do, then things will be okay. But if you don't, then we're going to have problems. And if they get too bad, divorce could be an option. If, if you take that approach, or if a couple takes that approach into marriage, guess what? The one thing that they will lack, the one thing that they probably want more than anything else, at the very core of them, they will not have. And that one thing is true vulnerability and intimacy. Because if I know or if you know that I can do something that would cause you to take off, you best believe I'm not going to share it. I'm going to probably hide it because I don't want you to leave. It's governed by fear. So there's a lack of intimacy. And so what I want to do with couples is I want to say to them, listen, go into this thing saying that no matter what, I am going to be here. When I say I do to you, I am going to be here and I am not going anywhere. 
You can try to push. I tell Andrea all the time, listen, if you leave, I'm coming with you. I'm serious. I, tell, I told her that, I think, was it yesterday, last night? I, if you leave, I'm coming. I'm packing my bags. But think about terms and agreements. That's what, I, that's what I, I mean, really. And I just want to say for those of you who are married here, right? What's it like in your relationship? What are the terms and the agreements? Does your spouse know that beyond the shadow of a doubt, you are there for them no matter what? That they could share their worst secret, that they could have done the worst upon the worst, but you're there, you're, you're for them. What that creates, it creates intimacy. It creates what I would call loyalty. It creates a heart wanting to be faithful. Well, when you look at the text today, God is going to talk about these terms and agreement in regards to our relationship with him. Now, the author, what he does, and you guys know, he writes a sermonic letter. And in our passage for today, he's, he attempts to motivate these first century Hebraic Christians who were suffering from persecution because they left Judaism by using an interesting passage in the Old Testament that is prophetic. It is it, it looks forward. It's technically found in Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. And in essence, what he says to these Hebraic Christians is, hey, you guys know all about the covenants. Um, you were told, weren't you? Uh, you, you knew that, that something new was in the works. You knew that Jeremiah foretold of a day that, that would come when the final priest would arrive and that, that there would be no more need for a sacrificial system. So he's, he's, he's drawing in, he's using language, he's pulling from their history, and he's wanting them to know that, hey, look, you don't have to go back to Judaism because there's something better. There's a covenant that is better. And so when we read this section of scripture, we see basically Jeremiah, the prophet, he paints a picture of a future peace between God and his people. There would be relational peace that would come through a, through a new mediator that would also bring a better covenant. And so what I want to do is I briefly would like to share three important things about the new covenant, all right? Three important things about a new covenant, and in particular, how this new co covenant applies to us. Well, before I do, we got to figure out what a covenant is. So let's start here. What is a covenant? A covenant, as you see up here, is a relationship. Let's start there. It's a relationship. Now, oftentimes when I've heard, or at least in the past, when I've heard about a covenant, Sometimes I should put this stuff up here because I, I think y'all read it before I say it. But, but think about it this way. When you, when you heard of a covenant, right? How many of us heard first that a covenant is a contract? It's a contract. It's, in essence, it's, it's a terms of agreement. But as uh, one theologian said, don't think of it like that. It's not that that's not true, but think of it first as a relationship. It's why I underline the word. A covenant 
is a binding relationship. It's a binding relationship between two parties where each party binds himself or herself to perform certain duties for the other person. Um, This word, um, to bind, basically is the root of this word. It's an ancient word, and and it means to, to, to literally bind yourself. Think of a bond. Think of heating metals together, and when they are heated together, they become one. So this word covenant means to bind. And there are two parties that are involved with a covenant. And what kind of happens is they, they, they make an agreement to fulfill certain duties. And when one of those parties does not fulfill the duty, guess what the other party does? In the ancient days, they would, what, they would, they would basically invoke divine uh, retribution. In essence, they would call upon the gods... To, to take ven- vengeance or to make a reckoning. You see, covenant was so special. It was, it was first found in relationship, but it was so binding that if the covenant was broke, they would, they would call upon God to, to take vengeance, to do the reckoning for them. And so that's a covenant. Now, in the Bible, there are seven different covenants. Three of the covenants, the Adamic, the Noahic, and the New Covenant are made between God and mankind in general, and they're not limited to the nation of Israel. Now, there are four other covenants, the Abrahamic Covenant, the Palestinian Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant, and the Davidic Covenant, God made specifically with the nation of Israel. And of these four that I just mentioned, Three of these are unconditional in nature, meaning God is going to fulfill them no matter what. That is, regardless of Israel's obedience or disobedience, God is going to still fulfill these. Now, the Mosaic Covenant, which is the backdrop of our text today, is conditional. It's conditional in nature, meaning it's, 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 the kind of covenant that, that if you obey, there will be blessings. But if you disobey, there will be cursing based upon your obedience or disobedience. Now, as you know, Israel, when you read the Old Testament, Israel failed to obey the conditions of the Mosaic covenant. And so, because they did, there were dire consequences to the, to the Jewish people. This is the backdrop that our author is talking out of. He's coming from the Mosaic Covenant. Well, finally, when you look at this passage, covenant is used seven times in the passage, which when you see a word repeated like that, it is very, very, very clear what the main point is, right? He's talking about covenant and, and our author is wanting to motivate these people that are going back to Judaism, basically to say, we have a better covenant. And so now, with that said, let's pick up on three important things about this new covenant from our passage that I wanted to, want us to see. Because if we understand them, I really feel like it would help cause our relationship with God to flourish. This is very important. All right. And I'll continue to tell you why in a moment, okay? So, three things 
three important things about the new covenant. And if you could help me up there. All right, here we go. Number one is that Jesus is the mediator of this covenant. Read uh, verse six with me. It says, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since, is, since it is enacted on better promises. Now, a mediator was, is one who basically stands in the middle of something. He stands in the middle between two opposing parties, and this mediator usually can sympathize with both and is entrusted by both parties. And as the assigned middleman, what the mediator does, he represents each side with the goal of mending a broken relationship. Well, in the old covenant, or with the Mosaic covenant, there was a broken relationship. And there was nobody to mend it between God and the people of Israel. And so Jesus, in this passage, as as we've been looking through the book of Hebrews, Jesus is not only the better high priest, but he is now the mediator of this covenant that you have, that I have, that we have now with God. Jesus stands in the middle and he represents God and he represents man. And he sympathizes with both God and man with the goal of mending our relationship with him. And that is exactly what he did, right? When he brought both humanity and God to the table when he lived the perfect life that man could not live. And he died on the cross for our sins, purchasing our redemption, enabling us to be forgiven by God. Jesus was the mediator because he brought both God and man together. Now, it's devastating, as you guys can attest, to see the destruction that's taking place in the Ukraine, right? When you think about the Ukraine, when you watch the news and you see what's going on, all of our hearts break for what's happening. And our hearts, I don't know about you, but I know for me, my heart gets hopeful whenever I hear about representatives from other foreign countries or even of our own attempting to serve as mediators to broker peace. For example, so far there's been at least probably five or six, but a few weeks ago the Israeli prime minister tried to go. He offered himself to be a, to himself to be a mediator to broker peace between Russia and the Ukraine. The foreign minister of China also offered. The president of Belarus was another one. The former chancellor of Germany was another one. All of these people, along with others, have offered themselves to be a mediator. And then people on each side of the country, or uh, mediators from both sides of the country, of the countries, they've also come together, but they've not been able to achieve peace. Well, when you look at our war and our enmity with God, there was only one person who could mediate a peace agreement between us and God. And guess who that was? Guess who that is? It is Jesus. Jesus is the mediator 
of the new covenant. And he's the mediator because he shed his blood. So the first important truth that we see about the new covenant is that Jesus is the mediator. Well, the second truth that we see is that the old covenant is no, it no longer applies. The old covenant no longer applies. Uh, Read with me verse 7. It says here, for if the first covenant had been faultless, there would not have been no occasion to look for a second. Then in verse 13, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. Basically, the old covenant was not like a broken down car that needed to be repaired in order to fix what was broken between God and the nation of Israel. It's not like they they needed something to be repaired. They actually needed something completely new. And the reason why is because the first covenant was, was not complete. It wasn't broken. It's not that it was broken. It just could never do what God finally wanted to do. So in essence, the old covenant, it wasn't final. It was just temporary. It was earthly it's, it's earthly priests that brought sacrifices could not fully atone for sin and appease God's wrath. It could not provide a priest who would make an ultimate, full atonement for sin that God demanded. It needed constant sacrifices which demonstrated the covenant's incompleteness. But now, again, as our author is going back, he's saying... That, that there is a better mediator. There is someone superior to Moses. And rem- remember, Moses was, in essence, the mediator between God and the people. There's someone superior to Moses. There's a better mediator. There's a, there's a better high priest that enacts a new covenant. And this person is Jesus. It's very, very interesting with the book of Hebrews. What's the application? He keeps pointing them back to Jesus Jesus. And so the first important truth is that Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. The second is that the old one, as we see here, is obsolete. And then the last one that I'd like for you to see is um, that the new covenant brings a better promise. The new covenant brings a better promise. Read with me verse 6. It says, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. The old covenant was a bilateral agreement that was conditional in nature. And with it came promises. In the old covenant, God's people were required to obey the law and to keep the law And in return, if they obeyed and if they kept it, guess what God would do? He would bless them and he would protect them according to Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. But if God's people disobeyed the law as they did, God would do this. Read with me in these verses, if I can get it to change. It says this in verse 8. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house 
of, of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them. You see, God found fault with the people because they disobeyed God. And eventually, here's what God did. And this is, as we're winding down, I just need you to get this. The old terms, and I go back to when I counsel couples. If the, if the way you come into marriage is quid pro quo, where I do, if you, you do what I want you to do, where everything's going to be okay. If you don't, everything's not. The old covenant was like this. And I have it up here. If you don't obey the commands that I give you, and notice verse 9, and you continue in being disobedient, a sevenfold disobedience, as you, you, you look in Leviticus, it talks about that. What will God do? It says that God will show no concern for them. Another, another translation, I think it's the NIV, says that God will turn his face away. And guess what happened? That happened. The old promises were if you disobey, you get to that point, I will show no concern for you. And that's what God did. Think about that for a moment. Think about what that does to your psyche. God found fault with the people. He turned away from them. And the promises of the old covenant, here's what they were. It's just some of them. Loss of land, barrenness, disease. Your enemies would conquer you. And a ton more. I mean, how often when you go through hard times, how often, I don't know about you guys, but I've done this before where I've like, God, have I done something? Am I being cursed? I watched a show recently and, and there was barrenness amongst the queen. And the queen was just saying, God's, God's paying us back for what we've done wrong. Well, that was the old covenant. They were cursed. Well, in the new covenant and family, we are part of the new covenant. In the new covenant, the terms are no longer conditional, but they're unconditional because God sends Jesus who keeps the law for his people in order to obtain God's favor and blessing. And then Jesus dies for their sin, taking the very punishment for this disobedience of theirs, of ours. You see, Jesus was the one who came and met the needs of the covenant. And so now, how does God relate to us? What are the promises? And I'll close with this. The promises. And this, remember, Jeremiah was speaking forward of this new covenant. What would happen? The Spirit would work in us. Verse 10 says, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. 
God's promises are in, internal. God gives us the Holy Spirit who reminds us of the things God has said. And not only that, and even better, listen, God gives us the power. The Holy Spirit that we have been given gives us the power to obey God's commands. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on the tablets of the hearts. Uh, the, the commands in the old, with the old covenant, they were written on stone. Now they're written on hearts. And that was part of the incompleteness. They were written on stone. They weren't written on hearts. They didn't have the whole Holy Spirit. Well, we have the Holy Spirit as our teacher. Well, the next promise is that God will be ours and we will be his. It said, I will be their God and they shall be my people. There will never, ever, ever, ever for us, there'll never be a time where God will turn his face away from us. And there, here's the reason why. There'll never be a time where God will not say, you are my people, you are mine, you belong to me, and I am yours. Because, and we sang it today, God turned his face away from whom? Jesus. God turned his face away from Jesus so that he could always have his face turned towards us. We are forever God's and we will always be his. And listen, you can say, if you're a Christian and you're part of this new covenant, you can you can 150% say that I am his and he is mine. You can walk secure. You, you can say, when's the last time you, you just said with confidence, I belong to you. I belong to you, Father. In our MC, we're memorizing a question from the New City Catechism. And, and the question is, what is our only hope in life and in death? And the answer, can anybody say the answer? That we are not our own, but we belong to God. Listen, you belong to somebody. Somebody owns you now. And that person is God the Father through the Son. And lastly, and I'll be done. Our sins will be forgiven and remembered no more for I will be merciful towards their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. Remember with the old covenant, there, there was a limit with God. And when God got to that limit, he turned his face away. Now, there is mercy towards iniquity. And instead of turning his face away from them, he chooses to remember their sins no more. Do you know that God does not, have you, ever, have you ever confessed something you did like 20 weeks ago, but you're still confessing it? Can I just tell you that God remembers your sins or he does not remember your sins anymore? When I catch myself doing that, like I'll do something dumb, right? And then two weeks later, I'll still be confessing it. I, I, I totally forget that God remembers not my sin anymore. And so what do I do? I live like an orphan. Church, I'm here to remind us this morning that we don't have to live like orphans because of this better covenant that this faithful high priest has brought to us.
So in summary, Jesus, the mediator and better high priest, brings a better covenant with better promises. Your sins are forgiven. You have the Spirit. And he is yours and you are his. Let's pray. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you for this better covenant. And as Pastor Jade comes now and leads us, oh God, in the remembrance of this covenant, the terms and the conditions were met. Oh God, stir us. Stir us, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everybody said.